Red Shoes Living Community. It's Lonnie, and I am in Park City, and I have a very cool guest in front of me today that I'm really excited to share with you. And let me introduce him. By the way, before I do that, it is snowing here in Park City. We've had some snow the last week. We've got more coming up, so there's there's a buzz here in the town, and people are excited. And so I just wanted to bring that up because I always get asked about the weather here in Park City. I think because people are always on their way here to do a little bit of skiing and boarding and, and want to know what's up. So here's who's sitting on the other side of me. And I wish you could see him, so we'll have to take a picture because not only does he have a cool job, he's a cool looking dude. <laughs> His name is Craig Gordon, and he is an avalanche forecaster with the Forest Service and the Utah Avalanche Center. And he has a job that I want. At least oh, I think nice. I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, at, at, at outside appearance, it, it looks like you you might want this job, right? It, it does indeed. It does indeed. <laughs> well, Craig uh, presented to a group of us here at the office about a week ago, and I fell in love with him and his work and his passion. And, you know, in Red Shoes, we talk about being the best version of yourself and how you work and how you live your life. Right. And, and I, I listened to Craig, and I wish we could do that actual presentation that you did that night, Craig. But the one thing I want to tell you, when I left that night, I was talking with friends about you. And right, huh? The passion that you bring to your job, and I know you've been doing this a long time, and the love that you bring to your job was absolutely contagious. And I really felt like the community would love to hear from you. And I've already talked way too much because oh, they're going to well, want to hear from you. That. Thank, thank you very much for the kind words. Absolutely. It, it was, seriously, it was such a pleasure. It was such an honor to come here and talk to your crew. I mean, everybody was so engaged uh, when I rolled home that night and, and, you know, sort of rolled out of here at, I don't know, 7 or 8 o'clock, you know, and get going home. And it's like my day starts at 2.30, so... You know, just a handful of hours of sleep. But after coming off of a night like that, I mean, it's like I got the full-on buzz going, you know. <laughs> so it, it was brilliant. And again, I, I really appreciate that opportunity and now this reconnection. So yeah. fun stuff. Man. Well, let's have a good time. And I, you Indeed. just said something right there, 2.30. So yeah, I know that your day starts at 2.30 in the morning. There's probably very few people that are listening in today that their day starts like that. So That's it's just crazy. What is that? It? Tell me about that. So what it is, is that, um, well, you know what? I'm uh, not only an avalanche forecaster, but avid weightlifter and got into bodybuilding a few years ago. So... I knew that with my forecasting position, I had to get my work off my plate first thing in the morning, right? And so, yeah, I get up at 2.30 each day. I look at the weather. I get my avalanche forecast out. That takes about an hour and a half or so, maybe some days, two hours. And then, you know, I have, I've read and researched like the most successful people in the world who are into exercise, you know, CEOs and people, movers and shakers, man, they get their exercise done when the outside world can't bother them. And I find it like four o'clock in the morning, there's not a whole lot of people knocking on my door, you know, wondering what's going on and asking for weather or avalanche advice. And that is sort of my time to, uh, you know, it's after my forecast has been issued. It's my time to get a little grounded, get centered with the world. And then I'm really ready to go out and get after it. You know, then I can get out on the snow and spend my day out on the snow 
doing what I love to do in this like second incarnation of my day or third incarnation for that matter. I love it. I love it. I want to come back to that here in just a minute too. But Craig, let's give a little context too to the group. I, I happen to know that at 14 years old, yeah, this is what you decided you wanted to do in one way or another. And I want you to take us through that journey. But I also want to say this. I in the speeches I give and in the communication with uh, executives, I often ask, what did you want to be when you were young, 12, uh-huh. 13, and 14? And most people are doing today uh, something other than what they really wanted to do when they were 14. You, however, are doing exactly what you wanted to do when you were 14 years old. So, so just talk about that for a minute. Yeah, How did that come kind about? Of, kind of a crazy thing. So. I grew up on the East Coast as a surfer and as a skier. And, you know, as I started to get into my teen years, I realized like, you know, the surfing thing, unless I go to California or or Hawaii, that's never really going to come to fruition. The skiing thing, though, somehow or another always connected with me. So I was a little kid skiing at three and a half years old. And, you know, in the early 60s, that was sort of, you know, an anomaly, right? Because you got to figure for a little kid at that time, there was no (laughs) Gore-Tex. You know, there was no warm clothing. My gosh, man. It was a suffer fest for sure. So I grew up thinking like you were always cold, you know, that was just a given. And, um... I had friends and and relatives, and my dad in particular had friends who would visit Colorado and Sun Valley, and they would come back to New Jersey, you know, which is not really a fabled area for big mountain skiing or or snow or anything mountain related, you know, and they would talk about the West Coast and how amazing it was. And I would see these pictures. I was like, wow, that's a place I need to go. You know, maybe Colorado is in my future. And as a kid, um, I was visiting a a local ski shop and I saw that there was, during President's Day of uh, 1979, uh, there was a a trip to Utah for seven days with airfare and a place to stay. It was $265. And I'm like, this this has got me written all over it, you know. So I, I save my shekels, you know, and I put that all together and I, and I come out here and it's like, this place is amazing, you know. It's right about the same time that Powder Magazine starts to come out with the first of its few, uh, its original issues. And I'm seeing articles about Utah Snowbird and just, you know, just this, this amazing zone out here. So I'm like, yeah, this, you know, kind of the, the greater power is definitely maneuvering me towards Utah. And I get here and it's like, yeah, this place is happening. But really my big epiphany, my big light bulb moment, as I expressed uh, to your group as well, was, um, we're into this trip and it's a couple days deep. It's a good storm cycle. You know, at the time, I, I don't know how good it is, but, you know, it, reflecting on it, I mean, it's, it's a pretty remarkable storm. Three or four days. The fifth day, it is clear. I'm up at Alta and I get off the lift and I hear, you know, explosions and explosives going off in the distance. And it kind of piques my interest, of course, you know, and I look up in the bowl above me in uh, Mount Baldy in this place called Ballroom. And I see some people working across and they're, you know, throwing bombs, 
triggering small avalanches, but the coolest thing is then they go and they ski powder. And it's like they're the only ones there, right? So I'm thinking to myself, you know, this looks like a pretty bitchin' job, right? I mean, what is there not to like about this? And my best friend at the time, he's with me and he's like, so, well, do you want to, let's go ski, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm going to stand here and watch these guys. I was like totally enamored by this. So he goes off, he does a lap, he comes back to the top of the lift and I'm still there, you know, <laughs> watching this all unfold. And I'm ready to ski and he's like, you know, says some, some remark to me, but I remember etched in my memory is... I'm coming back and I'm going to do that. And my friend Don looked at me as any 14-year-old kid would and said, sure you are, Craig. Sure you are. And it was like, you know, I mean, you're going to give a guy from New Jersey a challenge like that, you know? In my mind, I'm already going through some sort of cerebral resume, you know, to put this all together. And uh, I developed this... Um, a guise of higher education to get here, to go to college here. And I quickly realized that, you know, college was not my thing, but skiing was. And that, that was really the, the pathway that, that opened up um, a lot of doors to what I'm doing right now. You know, it's interesting. And by the way, <laughs> I was with you as you were describing that story, <laughs> sitting there, and, and I know what it's like to hear those bombs going off. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And how excited you get. I used to tell my kids, by the way, when we were up on the mountain together and those bombs were going off, that they were shooting the slow skiers on the mountain. Oh, classic. And uh, <laughs> they still get a kick out of that. But, Good one, Dad. Yeah, Good one, right? yeah. But, you know, it's cool because you found your, your way. And, and that's really the reason I wanted to have you here is because the passion today, all these years later, if I may respectfully say that. Absolutely. You are still bringing it, you know. And that, my friend, is unique. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for that. And I realize that I am incredibly blessed, you know, because... I think it's rare that you do find your passion in life, but more importantly that you take that passion and you pursue it and make it your life's journey. Yeah. And, you know, kind of that, that cliche type thing of, you know, if, if you find and do what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And... It kind of goes in one ear and out the other. But, you know, man, I'm living it. Yeah. And, and I realize just how blessed I am for that. And I think that is why I bring a lot of passion and a lot of stoke and a lot of energy. Because why not? Right. <laughs> you know, it is like, it is, it, to me, it feels like an untapped energy. And I always look at new projects and new things to approach with that, with that same enthusiasm. Because to me, it's not a day of work. It's a day of sharing my gratitude. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, the other sense I get from you is that you're a student of the, of the sport or a student of the game. And you just said something that I think is interesting too. You're not only a student in this expertise as an avalanche forecaster mm -hmm. and everything else that's wrapped around it, but in everything you do in your life. And I want to come back to your, that 2.30 in the morning and the workout and all that. Yeah, but, yeah. but talk to me about how one continues to be a student of the game because you're constantly learning, aren't you? 
you're advancing. Yeah, yeah, you constantly learn. And, and maybe that in this medium um, kind of propels you to keep on top of your game. You know, I, I, I think when you deal with elements in nature, you get these curveballs that are thrown at you. And rather than trying to outwit or trying to outguess the variables that that nature can bring you, maybe you just try to come a little bit closer in harmony. You try to live on those same types of levels. And then, you know, from a, a cerebral yoga standpoint, I mean, you kind of have to get into the psyche of whatever you're working with. Yeah. And it, I never feel like, oh, I have, I'm smarter than the medium I'm working in. I think that I have a mutual respect. And I realize that some days um, I'm out there, you know, swimming and surfing with the dolphins and life is great and that's the place that I want to be. But I also have to realize, you know what, when those fins are sharks, well, then it's just time to go to a different break, you know, yeah. and not to even not to even roll the dice, but to be cognizant of, enough that, well, I'm out of my element or I don't feel comfortable with this and it's time to time to pull a plug on it. You know, I want to I want to uh, pause here for a minute and talk about this because the night that I heard you speak, you were talking about skiers and snowboarders and uh, snowmobilers, right? And this word respect that you use, I noticed that you never paid disrespect to any one of those groups. Thanks for recognizing yeah. that. And I thought it was interesting because one could say in life or in business, as we evolve, that maybe we get a little cynical towards a certain group or, right? Yes, but totally. You're, you're not that way. You, this word of respect kind of comes out of you. Thanks for that. Thanks for recognizing that because, you know, I, I think in any endeavor that we're involved in, at the beginning, we're always that person that it's like, wow, what, what part of that don't they understand? In this medium in particular, I think that as people evolve into their sports and as the gear gets much better um, than their avalanche awareness is, that we as professionals, that we as a community have to provide that conduit to say, hey, you know what? It, it, it's not that hard. Here is this resource to help you out. Right. And I think we are much better people for doing that. And we're much better people for making other people's lives easier. I mean, that is just, that's just sort of a, a, a karmic philosophy, I yeah, think. I love it. Thank you. I love it. And, you know, I, if, if I think about business today, and I'll go back to the sharks, right? Some days there's sharks out there and you have of to course. be aware and you're respectful of the sharks. But you're still doing your thing and you're doing your thing in a positive way without judgment. In business, we have sharks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We've got the snowboarders and the skiers and the snowmobilers. And I think it's a great way to look at life and say, look, I'm here at the top of my game and I'm continuously learning and I'm a student of the game and, and I'm not going to judge. Right? right. It's not my way, but I'm going to do my best every single day. And, and so I know I'm tying what you do back to business, but it really does apply. And, and, it, and, and I appreciate it. Yes, and as a matter of fact, I would say that 
that philosophy is very rooted in the philosophy of good business. Because good sound business really is about relationships and it's about partnerships. And it is about providing and creating a product that people can embrace. You know, and, and I, I realized that kind of early on in, in this game. And, and I'll tell you, there were a couple epiphanies here. One, when I was a patroller at Brighton Ski Resort, and I was there for 10 years. I was there at the right, right place at the right time. The, the resort was expanding. I was part of that. I was getting my head into the snow and into the backcountry. And it was also a time that snowboarding was just coming online. And of course, you know, I mean, everybody looked a little bit different. I had an advantage. I, was, I looked a little different too, so I could totally connect with this group. Yeah, I didn't have, you know, baggy pants and I wasn't listening to the early iterations of rap. Although I did see Run DMC open up for Lou Reed in New York City once. <laughs> and I was like, what is this stuff, you know? But nonetheless, it was like what I did see was a countercultural movement. Now, as a ski patrolman um, and, and getting more involved in, in snow, I also got more involved in backcountry skiing and telemark skiing and free hill skiing. And... Um, I wanted to bring that mode of transportation into my daily operating procedures. So I started telemark skiing and uh, it was very, it, it was frowned upon that anybody that was ski patrolling would be on free heel, quote unquote, cross country gear, you know, because it was sort of flimsy and that kind of thing at the time. So we're talking, you know, mid mid-80s-ish, late-80s, you know. So skis were skinny, boots were like, you know, a pair of high-tech running shoes are now, right? So not a whole lot of support. So you had to be a hell of a skier to be able to ski this gear. You had to be an even better skier to even try to broach the kind of old guard that you wanted to patrol on, on Telemark gear. But I worked my ass off. I got really good at it. And through a number of, of ski tests, I was able to pass these ski tests and, you know, pull a toboggan out of the gnarliest stuff on the mountain. And so I got the approval to, to be on my telemark here. So some strange way, I made a connection with the snowboard community because I was sort of the alt dude on the other side. Yeah, I had a red coat and a white cross, but I was different. Than the other guys and so i connected with that group and as these guys started to venture outside the ski resort boundaries get into the backcountry, and consequently either get involved in close calls near misses or unfortunately avalanche accidents i saw an opportunity to speak to them and maybe not exactly speak their language, but at least start the conversation. Right. And so what I did at Brighton was I started a little avalanche awareness clinics that would happen, um, you know, after hours. And I kind of, this little community kind of embraced me. And it was like, all right, there's the need. Here's the product. What the conversation that was started and where it went to was 
rather than have this community figure it out through close calls and tragedies, let's provide them with that information. And that was really the kind of, I think, the start of this kind of personal journey, personal philosophy of, hey, if we have this information, why wouldn't we share it? So here, here's, I'm, I'm shaking my head and smiling <laughs> because, you know, jumping over to leadership here for just a minute. Yeah. Such great leadership on your part. Oh, thanks, you man. Know, to stand up because there's a lot of talk in the business world today about the different generations and how, and, and it's true. I mean, there, you know, we were all raised in, in different eras and we've learned different things, but what you just sure. described as a way to bring it all together in a non-judgmental way, in a way that makes everybody better. And I get the sense from you as I listen to you tell that story that you learn as much from, you know, these snowboarders back in the day as yes. they were learning from you. Yeah, yeah, in, in, a, in, a different, in a different sort of context, but it was a given and, and take. And so my giving actually... It, it came back to, to us and it came back to the ski patrol because, because we then had this, this organically grown posse that helped police their own. Yeah. You know, so it's like, no, no, the ski patrol is cool. So don't bust that sign or don't go through that closure, that kind of thing. So it, it, it actually... It came back around in such a positive light. It's like, why wouldn't you do this? Hey, of course, in every culture, in, in every setting, there will be, you know, rogue portions of that that, that are, are just not a good fit. Right. But from a community standpoint, yeah, you start something good, man, it always comes back to you. And, and oftentimes, exponentially so. Well, so the day after, so thank you for that. The day yeah, after yeah. <laughs> you spoke, <laughs> there's a, a young man out here that's in the younger generation by the name of Ed. Very cool guy. Works for a cool technology company here in Park City. And and I wrote down on my pad here, Rockstar, because when I walked in, I said, hey, man, what did you think about last night in crack? And he's like, uh -huh. oh, he's a rock star. Oh, nice. And he's, he's understated by design when he talks because, and he knows this, or maybe he doesn't know it, but like he's got a huge following of people. I know you're on YouTube and you've been right, on TV, right. but he was blown away by you. And I, nice. I said to him, really? And he's like, no, 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 Craig's the real deal. And I loved it because you, uh, you know, you, you, we all have an ego. You keep your ego in check. I can tell. And it's well, thank you for that. Way. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I've got to come back to this 2.30 in the morning. Yes. Because I think that is, uh, there's a secret to that. I, you know, we talk a lot about balance in life and, you know, you hear people, I, I've talked to people that say, listen, I just, you know, want to work for the next 25 years so I can enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and I know that you enjoy your life every single day. And yet you're getting up at 2.30. And I liked what you said. You're up, you know, before a lot of other people are kind of up and maybe even in the way and you can accomplish a little bit more. And then it sets your day up for a oh, great day. Oh, it totally day. does. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been doing that? You know, I have been on this 2.30 program for about the past five years. Before that, I, you know, I slept until like four o'clock. <laughs> you know? But what I found is that as life got busier, uh, you know, I think we, we try to compress a lot into a day. 
and oftentimes feel very fragmented at the end of the day. And just like, you know, our, our pre-conversation before recording, you know, we talked about how life becomes hectic and the, the regrets and that kind of thing. And I tell you, and, and maybe it was five years ago, a turning point in my life when I turned 50 was not to have any regrets. Mm. And, you know, my, my folks, they were very successful and they did follow that, that nine to five kind of, you know, success template and journey and other, uh, people in my life have, have, uh, followed that as well. My brother's a wall street guy and, and follows that. And it's very metered out. And just like you say, I'm going to do X amount of years and then I have that. And it's like, you know, I, I'm at a stage in my life where it seems that, wow, that would be very cool that if I was at this stage and I was looking at a pension and looking at all of those tangible things and then you start the second iteration of your life. But how about those curveballs that are thrown to us when we don't get to that stage? Right. And man, there's a lot of living to be had, you know. And that's, that's where it kind of comes full circle of the no regrets, you know. So I figure by about noon... I've got more done than, than most marine platoons, you know, it's like right on. And it does, Lonnie, it, it totally sets the tone and particularly sets the path of energy for the day to where when obstacles um, do come up or speed bumps or curveballs, it's like, I got this because I really do feel like, yeah, I'm creating my own energy. I got all this other stuff accomplished and, you know, so much of the static of, of life is then presented in, in more clarity. Yeah, I love, I love, love, love that. Thank you, Matt. Preparation and the, you know, to handle those curveballs and things that come at you. And yeah. I know in your line of work, that can happen pretty fast, right? Yeah, really fast. You know, so, yeah. you, you, you get to see... What's interesting about the Avalanche gig is, and as we, you know, we talked in our presentation with kind of a, a summary of how the year has come together. So for us in this business, it's really no mystery when the, when the train starts going off the tracks. It's like, well, yeah, we saw all of these signs come together. You see the structure in the snowpack. And, you know, I, it's a trend. I mean, maybe to relate it to somebody on Wall Street or somebody in a commodities market, you know, you're seeing these trends. If you're on your game, you know, you can expect, all right, this is what's going to happen. Of course, there are curveballs that are thrown, but mentally, perhaps you are prepared for that. And what I do is, and especially now that we are starting to get into a storm cycle, you know, I run a number of different cerebral scenarios like, okay, what if this happens? What if the winds veer around from an unexpected direction? How about if we get a little more water in the snow, which would mean denser snow than, than our forecast, you know? what might be some of those variables? You know, I'm not going to waste a, a whole lot of energy on the what ifs, but 
I am going to spend some time and some energy to be prepared for those curveballs so that at least I'm a step ahead of it rather than trying to catch up with it. So I love that because you're preparing and when they happen, I would imagine it's not, uh, you're not overreacting to it because you considered that that is a variable that could happen. Exactly. So the yes. preparation and it, it, I, I love it. I yeah, love the, it. the preparation. And I'll tell you something that has, that it helped center me with that as well is that, um, I have aging parents and you know we're kind of all in that in that same boat we're all going to be in bed together on that same level at some juncture in our lives and you know never having kids before but now having this responsibility of having to be able to plan and and get all of my ducks in a row, but also get my parents' ducks in a row as well, kind of gets you centered and, and thinking about these types of things. So it takes you in an element that maybe not we're not all comfortable with, yeah. right? And I think that there are a lot of parallels, not only in life, but in business and our occupations. That if we run through these mental scenarios, then we are much more prepared when they present themselves. Right. And rather than like, you have that, oh crap moment, it's like, no, I got this. And, and that's a good feeling and that's a solid place to be in life. I think of the confidence and just hearing you say it and looking at you as you say it, I got this. And you, I, I, I love that. I love a lot of what you're saying, clearly. Thanks, but uh, I talk a lot about baseline and build. And the baseline is just what you described. It's it's getting the, the knowledge and, and putting the forecast together and, and then understanding the variables. You know, it's, uh, it's baselining all that information so you know as best you can with what you're dealing with. Sure. And then it's all about building from there. All right, let's go out. Let's, let's see, you know, what's happening. Or if mm -hmm. you're going out into the backcountry, and I know you now have to report this to thousands of people if they're right. getting ready to go out. And I want to talk to you about that because I would imagine there's some pressure there and a responsibility for a number of people that are listening to you and saying, all right, Craig, you're up at 2.30 doing your thing. You're out on the mountain. And now you're reporting back because I'm getting ready to go out as well. Tell me what I need to be aware of or what do I need to avoid? Right. How do you handle that? How do you handle the pressure of that? Oh, man, I try to handle it as simplistically as possible because it is such a complex medium. And complexity to uh, the general public that just wants to go out and have fun, just like me. Right. I mean, I want to go out and have fun. And, you know, I'm not a sciencey guy. Right? I want to be able to express the things that I find the same way I would want them to be expressed to me. And I can't be confused with a lot of technical jargon. I mean, we have to at least speak the same sort of language. But you know, the avalanche forecasting thing is a lot like music. So um, I have to be able to identify my audiences. So if I am speaking jazz and I'm speaking Coltrane and Thelonious Monk to a three-chord rock and roll audience, well, I've, I've missed the point, right? I've blown it. 
So what I need to do then is go back, look at the message that I'm trying to convey. And if my audience wants to listen to the Ramones, well, that's what I'm going to give them, right? (laughs) If they want to listen to Derek Trucks and get a little bit more in the stratosphere, I'm going to give them that. And then from a professional level, then I can also go to that that third tier and talk professionally and get very in-depth. But I think... You know, this business is much like probably a lot of the businesses in your audience is know who you're speaking to and know that language because that language of conversation is is so important. I mean, it's the language that we speak to our families. You know, you have to connect at that level or a parental level or whatever that level of B2B level is going to be recognizing what that was and is and delivering that. I think that's really, that's really the key. So in a lot of respects, for me personally, being able to know the audience I'm speaking to, that takes a lot of pressure off, but you also got to nail it. (laughs) You know, I can't just say, well, you know, yeah, that's my rock and roll audience. They don't need to know that other stuff. Well, maybe they do. And maybe there's a way I can deliver that with a hook, you know, with just a little bit of a, of a tidbit of information that somebody can connect to. Yeah. Because I know that once we go down that road of speaking over people's heads or not speaking directly to them, eye to eye, face to face, then we have missed an incredibly valuable opportunity. So I'm writing as you're talking, which you know I mentioned to you, I'll write words yeah, down that I, I think like about. It. But uh, ego and check, these are the two words I just wrote down. Ego and check and great listening. And again, I get that sense from you. I can imagine you communicating, and I've watched you do it with anybody out on the mountain. Your Thank ego's you. in check, and then you listen. Thanks, man. Right? You yeah. pay attention. Great leadership on your part. So here's a question for you I'm curious about. Give me, what is a great day? I know you have a lot of them. What does a great day on the mountain look like for you? Oh, a great day is sunshine, stable snow, but not so stable that it's so straightforward. You know, stable enough snow and snow conditions and weather conditions that you got to be on your game And you have to figure out the exact right places to be at the right time to get the goods. I mean, you know, because in my heart of hearts, man, I'm a skier, right? You know, and the beauty of my gig is that the forecasting allows me to ski and the skiing allows me to forecast. You know, so it's it's a very complimentary synergy that goes on. And um, the perfect day is... Sunny skies, uh, a nice evenly distributed coat of snow, not blower over the head. That's, that gets in your face. It becomes cumbersome. <laughs> I like it when it's like boot top. You can travel easily, breaking trail. You know, it's a good workout, but then the down is really where it's happening, and that's where it's superior. Yeah. And just spending the day in the backcountry under those kinds of conditions, man, that, that to me is, is a beautiful day. So there's a whole bunch of people listening right now that have closed their eyes, and they are going oh, with you on that journey. They're there. 
So a couple of things I want to talk about too, back on just the avalanche side of things yeah, yeah. that a lot of people don't get to experience. We talked about, you know, the bombs going off when they're, when they're capping and doing those things. Sure. When an avalanche happens, there's this sound that it makes. And right. you talked about that. Describe that a little bit as best you can. Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes what happens is you've got a strong piece of snow, a slab, and underneath that there is a weaker piece of snow. So usually it's the strong, dense, cohesive snow with weak, sugary snow underneath. And I kind of describe it as it's sort of like dominoes sticking straight up and then, you know, you park like a Buick on top of the dominoes, right? Everybody's happy in its own skin until one of those dominoes gets flipped over and then you hear this telltale whoomph. And that is the spookiest feeling, right? And the spookiest sound. So. The feeling is you feel a snowpack collapse underneath you. You often see shooting cracks out in front of you and you hear that woomphing sound. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's like rolling thunder and you can actually see trees shake. So yeah, that always gets your attention, right? If you're in a safe location and something like that happens, you know, you're like, all right, I'm on my A game. I didn't outwit something. I'm in harmony with it and we're moving together, you know, in sync in the mountains. Man, if that happens to you when you're mid-slope, you're on a descent, man, now you are fighting for your life. Yeah. And it happens that quick. And that type of thing, I mean, even tricks professionals from time to time, definitely tricks you as you're starting to get into this business and you think you're the avalanche expert, but unfortunately the avalanche doesn't know you're the expert. You talked about that this year in Utah, how unstable and uh, unpredictable in many cases that the snowpack has been. Yes. Because all the different layers and all the science that you've put behind what could happen and you describe situations where people are triggering avalanches not where they are, but further from a distance. Away. Yeah, from a distance. Yeah, yeah. That is always a spooky setup, a very tricky scenario. It is, when it happens here in Utah, it definitely tricks even seasoned professionals. And this year, we have really dodged a lot of bullets, had a lot of close calls. Fortunately, no fatalities. Great. Yeah, that is great. As a matter of fact, you know, um, last year was the first season in 26 years that we had no avalanche fatalities. So I know that our messaging is resonating. I know that, you know, avalanche education and the avalanche message it's kind of becoming more mainstream. Mm -hmm. And like you had mentioned, um, embracing other forms of snow transportation, skiing, boarding, snowmobiling, snowshoeing, out for a trail run, hunting, hiking. I've got my Boy Scout group. All of those groups, you know, I think of it just like being at the ocean. I mean, you grow up near the ocean, you learn how to swim, you learn about currents, you learn about riptides, you learn about those dangers. Here in Utah, I mean, the mountains sort of have that exact parallel. You're headed out on snow-covered slopes. No matter what you do, you got to have at least rudimentary 
avalanche awareness skills. Right. And, yeah, I, I love the dance now, too, between the science and the art, if you will, with sure. technology. You know, I think people are getting smart about using the technology that's available to them with the science and even the art that you bring um, to that. And, and I listened the other night as you were talking to other people that were pretty well educated mm-hmm. on, you know, the outdoors and avalanches primarily because they had listened to you. But people are just smarter. We're not just trudging out into the wide open anymore and saying, let's just go for it. Let's be smart about it. Man, we have become a smart society on so many levels. There are so many resources, you know, and they're literally at our fingertips now. So, you know, when I started in this gig, I mean, there was a phone line that you used to call up, right? Like rotary phones, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you would call this this number up and you would hear the voice on the other end. And it was like, you know, and, and it was sort of magical. And I remember in, um, in 1992, the then director of the Utah Avalanche Center, Bruce Tremper, came up to Brighton. We were holding this little uh, snow safety meeting, had all of the avalanche forecasters and snow safety folks from uh, around the Wasatch Front and Wasatch Back. And uh, he was talking about this thing, the Internet. And how we could be able to, to share vast amounts of information. And I mean, just at, at, at the touch of your fingertips and it would, be, it would be instant, you know? And I was thinking, well, why wouldn't you just pick up a phone you know, and call the dude on the other end, right? And make that connection. And Bruce, um, you know, uh, as a sidebar, the most amazing boss in the world, the most amazing person, so blessed that I was able to work for him for, you know, a decade and a half. And uh, Bruce allowed me the freedom to pursue the projects that I thought were important. And man, I, I, I say that I am blessed with this job and part of that blessing was I had an amazing boss and an amazing supervisor who gave me that reign and trusted me and allowed me to run with it. And, you know, Lonnie, some amazing, amazing uh, developments came out of the Utah Avalanche Center from our Know Before You Go program, which started as a local outreach and avalanche awareness program that has been seen by hundreds of thousands of people here in Utah. That just a few years ago became a national program and just last year became an international program. And it's like, wow, you know, the the freedom that Bruce gave to me to allow me to create that, you know, that is the mark of, of a true, true people, person, and a manager that sees the potential in somebody and isn't threatened by it and says, you go, man, yeah. you run with this. And, uh, and that is, is a remarkable opportunity because it allows somebody to start to attain their, their potential. And man, 
once you get that out of the test tube, <laughs> you know, there, there's no stopping that. And, and truly, it, you know, it morphed from the Know Before You Go program to a trailhead sign program, Are You Beeping, that I uh, helped to develop where we have tra uh, trailhead signs that um, have avalanche beacons and beacon checkers. Um, you know, I was able to, and fortunate to develop the Utah Snow and Avalanche Workshop which is now a yearly workshop that uh, it started as 150 people 10 years ago. And this year we had over 900 people wow. attend. So yeah, you know, as, as we relate this to the outside business world, it's like, man, that the mark of a good manager, a good supervisor is to see that in a person and just help, you know, shepherd that along and, and help somebody reach their full potential. Yeah. Because, man, once that happens, there's no stopping that person. You well, know? I agree with you. And I, <laughs> I appreciate what you just said. And Thank I, you. Th th there's a component that you won't give yourself credit for. And that is, is that you earned that. You earned that space that Thank your you. boss gave you because he knew your passion. He knew your commitment, your drive. And I would imagine there were days he shook his head and just laughed. At, What's Craig up to now? Right? And, and I think he still does. <laughs> you know, retired now now for two years. And, and you know, um, one of the greatest joys of my life was to be able to share that at one of our Snow and Avalanche workshops. What an influence and what an amazing person. Uh, Bruce Tremper had on my life, and and you're absolutely right. There, there were days like, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna let this guy run with that. But um, what, and I still feel it now. Just what, what a blessed time uh, I'm in, and man, there is so much left to be done, so much in the future. Yeah, I love it. So I'm gonna say something to you, and just see what you what your reaction sure. is to this, and how you respond. Cinco de Mayo. Yes. What does that mean for you? That means my wedding anniversary. How do you like that? Yeah, I've heard the story. Please share to the community yes. what, that, what that's all about. <laughs> so my wife and I, well, and unbeknownst to us, got married on Cinco de Mayo. We just, we chose a date, right? So we pull the trigger and um, we were based out of Snowbird. And we got married at Our Lady of the Snows, which is the, the chapel up at Alta. It was a stunning day, a destination wedding, had people coming in from all parts of the country. And uh, since we were based out of Snowbird, we skied, uh, me and my tuxedo, my wife in her wedding dress. And that has become our yearly traditions. So yeah, I think we're going on like uh, 15 years or so now and every Cinco de Mayo, every uh, anniversary, we reenact the scene of the crime. <laughs> we go back to that and that's our gig. So yeah, it, it's great. You know, we toy with the idea, her wearing the tux, me wearing the dress. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what the future holds, but... The beauty of it is, you know, traditions like that are, are really a special thing. And it helps you connect with other people. It helps you connect with somebody that you love. And, 
you realize that uh, these journeys, no matter who we choose to, to go down these paths with, they're, they're really special times of life. And, and that helps both my wife, Anita, and I to, uh, to have that reconnection. And it's like, oh, yeah, remember this and remember that. And, and man, it, it warms my heart that you mentioned that. Oh, so thank you, my friend. You are most welcome. <laughs> I, again, you've got a whole bunch of people smiling and, and probably reflecting on, okay, you know, maybe. And, and I'll tell you, it, the, the beauty of that tradition is that when we bust out onto the tram deck or at the top of the tram, there are so many locals who will ask us, what year is it this year? Oh, you cool. know, and, and it really is. It, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, man, you just gave me permagrin. <laughs> so thanks <laughs> for great. that. Thanks for warming my heart. Well, I think, you know, as a takeaway for me, for sure, and I'm sure for others, it's uh, what what is there in our life that is like that, right? The, these things that happen yearly, you know, yeah. anniversaries or birthdays or, or celebrations, that happen on a daily or on a weekly basis that, again, because the world's gotten crazy, we're just not really paying attention to. Right. And I think about you and I think about everything we've talked about today. And we could go on and on and on and, and talk more about avalanches and more about great experiences and even some challenging experiences. Sure, sure. But here's the deal for me. It's how can I wake up every day at whatever time I do and pay attention to an absolutely beautiful world be prepared in my personal life and my professional life. Show up at the best as the best version of myself. Leave a little bit of room for being human and making mistakes, but mm-hmm. learn from it and then just keep going. And your passion is incredible. And so here's a here's a question for you. There are a lot of people that are not up on the mountain every day. Right. And they might be working in a job that's not exactly where they want to be. Of course. But they're spending half their life roughly doing this thing. What would be your advice from an avalanche forecaster and superb human being to those people about how to show up in that world to get the best of it? Man, you know, again, I I am so fortunate to do what I love and to love what I do. And and as I age, I I truly realize how blessed I am. Mm You know, it's really a remarkable experience to have all of these things come together. But I will tell you, as a pretty simple, minimalistic person, is that when you set your sights on something, and that's it, is to have a vision. You know, I think through life we randomly throw darts at the wall and this one is going to stick and I had this dream and I had this this passion to pursue something, but this got in the way. You know, and I think we can all pursue those passions, but it is a matter of if I want to get from point A to point B, how am I going to do this? And I think in this world of technology, of common sense, of all of these amazing resources that we have, it's so much easier now because things that seem so abstract at certain junctures in our existence now are very attainable. I mean, look at um, economically disposable income, how easy it is to go from one side of the globe to the other, to find somebody's couch to surf on for a few nights. We are such a small global society 
And I think the opportunities that are out there for people right now are limitless. The big thing is though, man, you set your sights on something, figure out how you get from point A to point B, pull the trigger and make it happen. Man, you got the passion, anything can happen. Well said, well said, Thank you, sir. Well, what's next for Craig? What's next for Craig? I am actually in the short term, I, uh, you know, I'm a plant-based athlete, so I'm working on spreading some of that message uh, to the community and how globally we can be a little more balanced with sustainability. And of course, you know, that affects the snow world as well. So, um, you know, it kind of comes full circle and I mean, this is kind of the place that we live. So we've got to be good stewards on so many, so many different levels. And that's where I'm headed next. After that, I'm turning my 82-year-old mom onto a raw foods restaurant. <laughs> it's date night for Craig and, uh, and mom. And uh, after that, man, I'm just going to keep an eye on this storm. Hopefully we get through this and we are blessed with some good powder riding on the other end. You Amen. Know? Amen. Well, Craig, we wish you the best. And in closing on the, the Red Shoes podcast, I always end with a question related to Red Shoes. And we'll, sure. we'll end here. But I believe you live it. I know you understand it. When you think about red shoes, how does it show up for you? What does it mean to you? You know, what it means to me is that you have a passion, you have a drive, you have a skill. Give that back to your community. You know, there, is, there are so many talented people in this world. And look within yourself, know what those strengths are, and give those strengths back to your community. Not, will you, not only will you be a better person, the people around you will be better for that. And everybody has that inside them, and everybody has that to share. Love it. Love it. Well, Craig, <laughs> we are better because of you. Oh, I'm rock on, man. So grateful for your time. And if those people are, are coming to Park City to ski, look him up, look Craig up. We'll put a couple of links here in the podcast. I love it. So they can get to know you. And at the very least, maybe we'll be up there skiing with you on Cinco Oh, come, come see me, man. I, I love sharing my passion. I love to ski. So I, I would be super stoked to connect face-to-face with uh, some of your peeps as well. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Craig, Indeed. thanks for your time, my friend. Awesome. Appreciate Thank it. You, sir. Thank you.